Chapter Sixteen of the Mystery of the Four Fingers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mystery of the Four Fingers by Fred M. White. Chapter Sixteen. Fenwick moves again. Beth raised no objection to the program. Indeed, the suggestion seemed to fill her with delight. She would not be a moment. She said she would put certain necessities in a handbag and come back for the rest of her wardrobe on the morrow. Venner had expressed a desire that Zary should accompany him, but the latter shook his head emphatically. "'No, no,' he said, "'you are going alone. As for me, I have important business on hand, which will not brook the slightest delay. Mr. Gurdon had best return to his own rooms, and, for his own sake, I would advise him to keep in the middle of the road. You too little know the danger you incurred when you decided to thrust your head into this hornet's nest. Now I will see you both off the premises, and put out all the lights.' I may mention, in passing, that I have a latch-key to this place. A few minutes later Venner found himself walking down the deserted streets with his fair little companion hanging on his arm. She chattered to him very prettily and daintily, but there was a great deal in her remarks which conveyed nothing to him at all. She constantly alluded to matters of which he was entirely ignorant, apparently taking it for granted that he was au fait with what she was saying. It struck Venner that, though not exactly mentally deficient, she was suffering from weakness of intellect, brought about, probably, by some great shock or terrible sorrow. On the whole, he was not sorry to find himself in the great hall of the hotel, the lights of which were still burning, and where several guests were lounging for a final cigar. "'I know it is exceedingly late,' Venner said to the clerk, "'but it is quite imperative that this young lady should see Miss Fenwick. Will you be good enough to send up to her room, and tell her how sorry I am to disturb her at this time of night?' but that the matter is exceedingly urgent. "'Miss Fenwick is not in, sir,' came the startling response. "'She went out shortly after eleven o'clock, and she told me that she might not be back for some considerable time. You see, she wanted to be quite sure that she could come back into the hotel at any time she returned. Oh, no doubt she is returning, or I don't suppose for a moment that she would have asked me all those questions.' The information was sufficiently disturbing, but there was no help for it. All they had to do was to sit down and wait patiently till Vera came back. They were not in the least likely to attract any attention, seeing that several men in evening dress, together with their wives, were seated in the hall for a final chat after the theatre or some party or reception. In her long white frock, partially concealed by a cloak and hood, Beth would have easily passed for a girl fresh from a theatre or a dance. It was a long, weary wait of over an hour, and Venner was feeling distinctly anxious, when the big folding doors at the end of the hall opened, and Vera's tall, graceful figure emerged. "'Here is your sister,' Venner said. There was just a stern suggestion in his voice. "'Now you are not to cry, or make any scene. You are not to attract any attention to yourself, but take it all for granted. You can be as emotional as you please when you are alone together in your room.' Vera came across the hall in a jaded, weary way, as if she were thoroughly tired out. Her face flushed a little as she recognized Venner. Then she looked at his companion and almost paused, while the blood ebbed from her face, leaving it deadly pale. "'Gerald,' she whispered, "'Gerald and Beth, what does it mean? What strange thing has happened to bring you both together here?' "'Don't make a scene, for goodness' sake,' Venner said. "'Take it as calmly as you can. Unless you are self-possessed, your sister is sure to give way, and that is the last thing in the world to be desired.' I cannot possibly stop now to tell you all the extraordinary things which have happened to-night. Let it be sufficient to say that it is absolutely imperative that you give your sister shelter, 
and that nobody but yourself should know where she is. "'But how did you find her?' Vera asked. "'And who was it suggested that you should bring her to me?' "'Let me just mention the name of Zary,' Venner replied. "'Oh, I can come round here to-morrow and tell you all about it. "'If you think that there is any possible danger—' "'Of course there is danger,' Vera said. "'Mr. Fenwick may be back at any moment. "'He does not know that I am aware that my sister is even alive. "'If he became acquainted with the fact that we had come together again, "'all my plans would be absolutely ruined, "'and my three years of self-sacrifice would be in vain.' "'I am afraid you must run the risk now,' Venner said. "'At any rate, your sister will have to stay here till the morning.' It is perhaps a good thing that she does not understand what is going on. Apparently, the girl had no real comprehension of all the anxieties and emotions of which she was unconsciously the centre. She was holding her sister's hand now, and smiling tenderly into her face, like a child who has found a long-lost friend. "'You may rest assured on one point,' Venner went on. "'For the present there is not the slightest reason to fear Fenwick. He has had a great shock to-night. All his plans have been upset.' and he finds himself in a position of considerable danger. I know for a fact that he is going straight away to Canterbury, and probably by this time he is on his way there. According to what your mysterious friend Zary said, he had some plan cut and dried for providing for your sister's safety to-morrow. Now take the poor child to bed, for she is half asleep already, and when once you have made her comfortable, I want you to come down again and have a few words with me. You need not hesitate. Surely a man can talk to his wife whenever he pleases." and besides there are several people here who show not the slightest signs of going to bed yet very well vera said come along dear i see you are dreadfully sleepy so sleepy that you do not appear to recognize the sister you have met for the first time for three years venner had time to smoke the best part of a cigar before vera reappeared they took a seat in a secluded corner of the hall where it was possible to talk without interruption now please tell me everything the girl said. "'I am afraid that is impossible,' Venner replied. "'This is one of the most extraordinary and complicated businesses that I ever heard of. In the first place, I came to England, weary and worn out with my search for you, and half inclined to abandon it altogether. In the very last place in the world where I expected to meet you, I came in contact with you in this hotel. I find that you are being passed off as the daughter of one of the greatest scoundrels who ever cheated the gallows.' but that does not check my faith in you. I had kept my trust in you intact. Ever since you left me on the day of our marriage, I have had nothing but a few words to explain your amazing conduct, and now here I am, doing my best to free you from the chains that bind you, and all the while you seem to be struggling to hug those chains about you, and to baffle all my efforts. Why do you do this? What is the secret that you conceal so carefully from the man who would do anything to save you from trouble, from the man you profess to love? if you do care for me oh i do indeed vera whispered there were tears in her eyes now and her cheeks were wet it is not for my own sake it is for the sake of the poor girl upstairs i had promised to say nothing of that to any one to try and save her and i left you and ran the risk of forever forfeiting your affection but if beth is better in the morning i will try to get her to absolve me from my promise and induce her she is not capable of giving a promise or rescinding it venner said don't you think it would be far better if instead you discussed the matter with your brother charles le fenu so you know all about that vera cried yes i do i have seen him to-night gurdon has already had an interview with him an interview that almost cost him his life 
We have been having some pretty fun adventures the last two or three days, but if it all ends in saving you and lifting this cloud from your life, I shall be well content. I am not going to ask you to go into explanations now, because I see they would be distasteful to you, and because you have given some foolish promise which you are loath to break. But tell me one thing. You said just now that you had not seen your sister for three years, though she has been living with your brother, whom you visited quite recently. That is easily explained, Vera said. It was deemed necessary to tell Beth one or two fictions with a view to easing her mind and leaving her still with some slight shadow of hope, which was the only means of preventing her reason from absolutely leaving her. These fictions entailed my keeping out of the way. Beth is exceedingly different from me, as you know. Indeed she is, said Venner, smiling for the first time. But does it not strike you as an extraordinary thing that I should be fighting in this fierce way in your behalf, and that you should be placing negative obstacles in my way all the time? I won't worry you any more to-night, dearest. You look tired and worn out. You had better go to your own room, and we can discuss this matter further in the morning. It was dark enough and sheltered enough in that secluded corner of the hall for Venner to draw the girl towards him and kiss her lips passionately. Just for a brief moment Vera lay in her husband's arms. Then, with a little sigh, she disengaged herself and disappeared slowly up the stairs. She had placed Beth in her own room, which they would share together for that night at any rate. The younger girl was sleeping placidly. There was a smile on her face. Her lips were parted like those of one who is utterly and entirely happy. She made a fair picture as she lay there, with her yellow hair streaming over her shoulders. She just murmured something in her sleep, as Vera bent over and brushed her forehead lightly with her lips. "'Oh, I wonder how long this cloud will last,' Vera murmured. "'How much longer I shall be till I am free. How terrible it is to have the offer of a good man's love, and be compelled to spoil it as I do.' or, at least, as I appear to do, and yet I should be a happy woman if I could only throw off these shackles. Vera paused, unable to say more, for something seemed to rise in her throat and choke her. She was utterly tired and worn out, almost too tired to undress and get into bed, and yet once her head was on the pillow she could not sleep. She tossed and turned wearily. All London seemed to be transformed into one noisy collection of clocks. The noise and the din seemed to stun Vera and throb through her head like the beating of hammers on her brain. She fell off presently into a troubled sleep, which was full of dreams. It seemed to her that she was locked in a safe, and that somebody outside was hammering at the walls to let her free. Then she became conscious of the fact that somebody really was knocking at the door. As Vera stumbled out of bed, a clock somewhere struck three. She flicked up the light and opened the door. A sleepy-looking chambermaid handed her a note, which was marked urgent on the envelope. With a thrill, she recognized the handwriting of Mark Fenwick. What new disaster was here, she wondered. "'Is there anybody waiting for an answer?' she asked tremblingly. "'Is the messenger downstairs?' "'Yes, miss,' the sleepy chambermaid replied. "'It was brought by a gentleman in a motor. I told him you were in bed and fast asleep, but he said it was of the greatest importance, and I was to wake you.' Perhaps you had better read it. With a hand that trembled terribly, Vera tore open the envelope. There were only two or three lines there in Fenwick's stiff handwriting. They were curt and discourteous, and very much to the point. They ran as follows. 
I am writing you this from Canterbury, where I have been for the last hour, and where I have important business. I have sent one of the cars over for you, and you are to come back at once. Whatever happens, see that you obey me. You will tell the gentleman I will be down in a few moments, Vera said. I will not detain him any longer than I can help. What is to be done? The girl wondered directly she was alone. She felt that she dared not disobey this command. She would have to go at all costs. She knew by bitter experience that Fenwick was not the man to brook contradiction. Besides, at the present moment, it would be a fatal thing to rouse his suspicions. And yet, she felt how impossible it was for her to leave Beth here in the circumstances. Nor could she see her way to call up Venner at this hour and explain what had happened. All she could do was to scribble a short note to him, with a view to explaining the outline of the new situation. Ten minutes later she was downstairs in the hall, where she found the man awaiting her. He was clad in furs, his motor cap was pulled over his eyes as if he shrank from observation, but all the same Vera recognized him. "'So it is you, Jones,' she said. "'Do you know that you have been sent all the way from Canterbury to fetch me at this time in the morning?' It is perfectly monstrous that I should be dragged out of bed like this. Perfectly disgraceful. I don't know anything about that, miss, the man said sullenly. It is the governor's orders, and he gave me pretty plainly to understand that he would want to know the reason why, if I came back without you, don't blame me. I'm not blaming you at all, Vera said coldly, nor am I going to stand here bandying words with you. I will just go to my room and put on a fur coat, then I shall be ready. "'Very well, miss. That's the proper way to take it. But where is the other young lady?' Vera's heart fairly stood still for a moment. Fenwick's note had said nothing about her sister, though this man seemed to be aware of the fact that she was here. There was only one thing for it, and that was to lie boldly and without hesitation. She looked the speaker in the face in blank astonishment. "'I fail to understand you,' she said. "'There is nobody here but me.' There could be nobody here but me, and now I have nothing further to say. One moment, and I will be with you. End of chapter 16